Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, John Obaluski. How are you today, John? Jim, I'm really good. It's good to be with you. Uh, good to be spending time with you. And I'm really excited about yeah. our special guest uh, today for uh, the second week in a row. We have with us Pastor Chris Brooks. Uh, Chris pastors Woodside Bible Church here in uh, Michigan. And Woodside is a church with, I believe, 14 campuses and uh, so it is, a, it is a large entity, and we are just uh, privileged, Chris, to have you with us today. Welcome. Well, it's a joy to be with you, brothers. Yeah. So, John, why don't you get us started? I, I know time is of the essence. We want to get as much out of this for our, our listeners as we can. So, Chris, uh, last week you shared with us your, your story, uh, how you, you came to Christ, uh, how you grew up, uh, the call of God. Uh, on your life. And uh, it was just fascinating to listen uh, to that. I always love listening to how people uh, find Christ and then find their calling. And uh, so we talked about that. And uh, you, you talked about what it was like to uh, become the lead pastor at, at Woodside and some of the things that you saw and you learned uh, in your first year and a half there. So we so appreciated that. Uh, I want to pivot and, and ask uh, uh, this question. Uh, Chris, you're an Afri African-American man. Uh, what has pastoring in 2020, well, maybe not just in 2020, but specifically 2020, been like for you? Wow. You know, there's so many different ways I could answer that question. I, I think it goes back to, uh, we could do a whole show on just transitioning well. Mm. Um, I think 2020 was set up in 2019 for me. And uh, as we talk about transitioning well, I uh, would be remiss if I didn't talk about my predecessor, Doug Schmidt, mm -hmm. and uh, how important it is for the guy that is transitioning out of the role to set up the guy who's coming into the role. Right. And a couple of things that Doug really did well for me is that he, uh, he really allowed me to, to lead, so I didn't feel the pressure of having to fulfill his expectations um, or to be a duplicate of him uh, just allowed me to be my own guy, my own man. Uh, and that helped. But then secondly, he really leveraged his relational capital to uh, help me to speed up the relationship building process here. So mm -hmm. all that to say, 2020 has been the toughest year of ministry I've ever experienced. And I don't think that's unique to me. Uh, as an African-American man, you constantly feel uh, this tug. Uh, we all have uh, the dual identity, like Paul describes, of being in Christ. But also, uh, as he says in Romans 10, he has this strong affinity for what he labels as his kinsmen after the flesh. Hmm. And, um, and so for me, you know, growing up in an African-American community and, you know, seeing uh, some of the, the hurts that happened in this year, uh, some of the, the great concerns that are historic wounds. Uh, yeah, I'm sympathetic to that. But yet I'm called to ultimately um, represent Christ in his kingdom. So, so reconciling how to mourn with those who mourn mm -hmm. and how to lead out well, uh, always keeping things centered on the gospel and on the word of God has been my task. And, uh, and I will say that 
Uh, the elders here have been massively supportive. Uh, our campus pastors have been tremendously encouraging, and I'm humbled by that and super grateful. And I'm also grateful to be a part of a church that guys uh, seem to have uh, a hunger for God's word. It's as if, and every pastor doesn't have this, so I, I recognize right. it's, a, it's a unique privilege, but it's as if the people here have said, hey, just teach us the word of God and, and we'll do our best to, to follow. And that's a, that's a blessing. Mm -hmm. hmm. I, you know, I, I would think yeah, we were talking kind of between the, the, the racial makeup of the main campus yeah. being 96% Caucasian. Um, I, I would think that in many ways, I, not to put you in a weird position of being an ambassador, you know what I'm saying? But yeah, yeah. my congregation looked at me and said, what do I do? And I go, how do I know? I, I, you know what I mean? I, sure. I, I may be part of the problem I, and not knowing it. My perspective is, is my perspective and it's limited. Do you believe that, or do you think that your, your perspective, your position actually gave you an advantage in helping people understand what was really happening? Uh, some, I think were very some. Upset and some were very upset the other way. And I, yeah. I think it's people an authority that, that, you know, maybe I wasn't able to speak to my congregation with. Yeah, I, I think with some, Jim, uh, certainly uh, my background, my lived experience, uh, you know, my uh, ability to uh, think deeply about these things uh, was certainly um, a uh, welcomed asset. And I pray that it really helped us to navigate with wisdom. You know, I think race relations are uh, within the church uh, are something that are deeply rooted within the New Testament, you know, in the yeah. Jew and Gentile distinction. I mean, just think about what Christ did. He took these band of Jewish brothers and said, go on to a Gentile world and yeah. uh, built my church. I mean, they, every page of the New Testament drips with the challenges that come along with that. And mm -hmm. so that's been something that I've thought deeply about. However, uh, to be honest, it, it also, for some, created suspicion. Suspicion around motive. Uh, you know, I, I do think that as an African American leader, in partic particular in a predominantly white congregation, for some, the question is going to be, well, which way are we going with this? Are we going to go, you know, off the deep end of social justice? Uh, where are we going? Uh, and, and I think for some, there was, uh, you know, concern, suspicion around that. And so you deal with both. Yeah. And you just try your best to allow consistent leadership over time to tell your story. You're not mm -hmm. going to win every argument or every battle. Uh, you can exhaust yourself trying to uh, change every critic's mind uh, in a moment. But what you can do is try your best to lead consistently from your values. And as people see your values in heart over time, uh, they'll make the choice and that'll write the story for you. Right on. I love that. And I love, I love what you said too about the preeminence of the gospel. That yeah. If, if there's something greater in order for us to be in unity, something that unites us has to be greater than the things that divide us. Certainly. And certainly in the book of Acts, that's Jesus. It's there. There's a long standing history of you know, the Gentiles were the Philistines, you know, the Gentiles were the, yes. you know, I mean, they were, they were the bad guys in every story the Israelites had ever heard, ever been a part of. And then Jesus comes and he's greater. And Jesus yeah. Like, figuring it out because Jesus holds them together. Yeah. Well, you know, and I think Jim also, uh, all of us read the scriptures, even those of us who are trying to take our best, 
you know, grammatical, historical approach to uh, getting to the, the meaning of the text, we all read through a cultural lens as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, we, and that means that there are certain things that we see and we don't see. And uh, part of what this year has been for me and for our church family is uh, I've seen things through their lenses that maybe I've missed in the past. And hopefully they've seen some things through my lenses that they've not seen before. You know, when, when we read Acts chapter six, I see, you know, uh, the, you know, these Hellenistic Jews not being served uh, in the distribution and you got the Hebraic leadership. And I see all these ethnic tensions there. Well, a lot of the leadership uh, here hadn't seen that before, you know, or, or, or Paul in Galatians two confronting Peter face to face over the way that he was showing hypocrisy in his social dealing with the Gentiles. I mean, all those things are there. Uh, and as we are in dialogue through the lens of love, right. Ephesians to the fact that Christ has torn down the wall of hostility between us and the goal is ultimately reconciliation, I think we're able to navigate through tough years like this. And you just preached four sermons. I'm going to preach all of them too. <laughs> so you know, we look at challenges of, of this. I've heard some people say that COVID and the online uh, explosion and the in-person contraction and the, is this an interruption that we're going to get back to normal? Is this the new way of doing it? I'm just, I'm just curious, you talk about 17, is that what you said? 17 campuses? 14. 14. 14. Oh, only 14. Never mind that. Only 14. <laughs> I mean, you, you got more campuses than Colonel Sanders has chicken restaurants. You know, that, that's an incredible uh, leadership, but there's a lot of perspective in that. So you yes. and John both from your interactions with a, a larger world, um, John and I have talked a lot about it on this podcast, but what do you, what do you see as the, the, the biggest challenges facing us in, in 2020, but also you know, in 2021, we're here we are. It's not, yeah. I mean, the year changed, but and circumstances are slowly changing. But what do you, what do you see as the future for the church? And what do, what do we learn? What do we, what do we take with us in the future? Well, there's so many things, and I'm glad you brought this up because uh, every church, every pastor is trying to distinguish between what's enduring as far as the changes that 2020 brought and what was just uh, momentary. 2020 was a game changer in many ways. Um, I think the two things that emerged for us was just uh, recognizing uh, how dependent we were on the organic relationship time that the in-person gathering brings yeah. us. You know, the in-person gathering, just knowing we're going to see each other once a week, kind of in some ways, um, you know, became a substitute for the basic relationship blocking mm -hmm. and tackling that every pastor and leader should do. So man, a lot of the stuff that we did wasn't digital, it, it was analog. It was just picking up the phone and calling somebody and saying, uh, kind of like an old school pastor, here's my home number. Uh, if you need anything, give me a call. Uh, but you know, I, I really do think that what uh, the future holds is, is more intimacy. I think there, mm -hmm. uh, for larger churches, you know, and I'll speak from this context, pastoring a larger church, I think the pressure is on for all of us to uh, really step up our game in caring for people. Uh, mm -hmm. People are wanting intimacy. They, they want to know that they're seen uh, within the church. And so uh, my team, I told my team that the greatest thing you can do at the end of every day is to say that you call four or five families that day 
and that you just had great conversations to communicate our love, care, and concern for them. Now, with that being said, I don't think that hybrid ministry is a momentary thing. Mm-hmm. And when I say hybrid, I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about in-person and digital. I think that's here to stay. So we are going to have to talk about digital as a supplement, not a substitute for in-person gatherings, mm-hmm. but a supplement for discipleship. And how do we leverage it like we're doing right now to right. Uh, minister to people and to provide them with content to help them to grow spiritually? So those are the two things that are at the top of my list. How do we live as a, as a high-tech and high-touch church mm-hmm. as we go into the future? Yeah, who, who would have guessed that the foyer way had as much meaningful ministry as oh. the sanctuary? Oh, and I, you kind of, but you, I, it's funny the people that hang out in the foyer way were the people that were 10 minutes late for the music. (laughs) (laughs) Just show up 10 minutes earlier. And, and, but what a, when we built our building, we built it with as much square footage in the foyer way coffee shop, hang out in the worship space because someone said, Hey, you know, I, I don't just come here. I I can get good teaching anywhere. I can get good music anywhere. Yes. Because I want to hang with my friends. So we stopped saying, get the church on time and started valuing a little bit more. But now, we just had our, our board meeting last night and one of our deacons just almost in tears said, you know, it's just, I just missed the fire away. <laughs> That's right. Fire away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we're all feeling that. And, you know, church feels different. It doesn't feel like normal. And I think, you know, people have been asking me, how can I pray for you uh, in this new year? And, and honestly, I just keep wanting and longing for things to get back to normal, whatever that is. And I right. think every pastor does uh, wants that. And, we're all missing people. And, you know, uh, when you're a pastor, you're wired to love people deeply. And uh, hopefully in the years to come, we'll see a uh, deeper connection made. So, Chris, you know, it, you, you mentioned uh, the difficulty of pastoring. Uh, I mean, it's, I think pastoring has been difficult for a long time, yeah. uh, maybe forever. But 2020, uh, from my perspective, has been the most difficult year of my lifetime in terms of watching uh, men and women lead. Um, And Barna came out uh, with a report, I think it was about a month ago, a month ago that 50% of pastors in the United States are suffering with depression. Wow. Uh, A year ago, it was was still a high number a year ago, it was about 37%. But a 13, you know, that, that size of an increase in one year, I, I know that Woodside uh, has really been intentional about creating a structure, creating a, a, a way for its leaders to get and stay healthy. Um, and, and I think that's uh, never been more important than it is in, this, in, the, in the previous year that we have seen. Chris, what, what would be two or maybe three things from your perspective that pastors can do to get and stay healthy while still leading effectively at the same time? Yeah, I think uh, what 2020 has done is not so much caused as it has revealed, mm-hmm. exposed what was already there. And what was underneath the surface for most of us was this, uh, this ethos of, Bigger, better, faster, bigger, better, mm-hmm. faster, bigger, better, faster, which leads to this, uh, this thing called burnout, mm-hmm. which ultimately lands us in one of two places, if, if, if not dealt with, either a physical crash where we're, we're going to crash physically or a moral failure. 
or we're going to crash morally. And so burnout actually, uh, to me, is one of the greatest threats to the future of the church and one of the greatest threats to the future of our leadership. And so, man, uh, there's so many things that I could say. I mean, here we have the resources to identify two people that we asked to lead a new department uh, that we call staff care. And their job is 100% to analyze our defects and to constantly challenge me and the rest of our leaders and elders on how we can pace ourselves and create a healthy culture. Um, there are pros and cons of being a pastor at a larger multi-site church, but one of the downsides is that uh, oftentimes to get there, you have to uh, create uh, a pretty fast-paced culture. And productivity mm. is good. I'm not a promoter, promoter of laziness by any means, right. uh, but burnout is not, is not good. So a couple of things that we've had to do is, number one, get serious about Sabbath. Mm. I've had to get serious about Sabbath, uh, modeling that uh, for our team, which is hard. Uh, to step away and just trust that God can handle it. Uh, vacationing is hard for me, if I'm honest. Uh, taking a day off is not easy for me. Uh, my wife has to kidnap my cell phone and uh, take it to a secret place if I'm going to really be disconnected. Uh, so serious about Sabbath is one thing. I think secondly is not being ashamed about mental health. You yeah. know, uh, you, you know, John, that in 2019, uh, my wife and I lost our son, yes. uh, Christopher, my oldest son, passed away. And um, that was really, really tough. And uh, one of the ways we've survived that has been um, a great counselor. We have mm -hmm. a wonderful grief counselor who uh, has been essential. And I've been open about that. I've been open about our rhythms with that so that hopefully the taboo um, that surrounds mental health can begin to dissipate among us. And I do hear people uh, talking more openly about things like anxiety, uh, depression. John, you've been a huge help coaching our team. Uh, Jim, you've also helped in that. And uh, we're super grateful that we have been able to demystify some of this. Right. And uh, that way we can deal with it. It's hard to deal with a problem that you deny having, isn't it? It's hard. To, it is. It is. You know, I'm fine. I'm fine. I just need to work harder. I just need to try more. I just need to. That's. And when you hear stats like what Barnett put out, uh, John, yeah. uh, it shouldn't be taboo. I mean, honestly, right. you know, I've told our team, let's assume, in particular with our younger leaders, that they're dealing with some form of anxiety. Right. Uh, let's start with that assumption. And, uh, and let's work from that place as opposed to assuming that, hey, if you're really strong and really mature as a leader, that these things won't be a part of your journey. Uh, last I checked, all God is using on this planet uh, to lead our humans, and we are <laughs> falling and frail. So yeah. we all need that help. But, John, as you know, there's a lot of other things that I could uh, name, but I would say those two have been the most important. We've also added books. Uh, that we've recommended our staff read. We uh, read through John Mark Homer's book, uh, The Relentless Elimination of Hurry, mm. uh, which every page was a rebuke to me. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. I like those books. You read a paragraph, go repent for a week. Yes, right. 
Yeah. It's funny because the, the, you know, we talk about books, the, the distance, when someone looks me in the face and says, you need to stop that, it's confrontational. When I read someone that died 100 years ago confronting the same thing, there's a, I, I, I guess it doesn't take away my control, which sometimes I'm afraid of losing control to truth, whether yes. it's through, you know, from God through the word. But, but when, it, when, it is, uh, you know, when it's a man saying stop, and I go, you know, now I'm kind of confronted. I have to stop or I know. You have to stop. Or as you read a book, I'm, there's still a sense of I can process that. I can add it to my yes. life. I can, I can slowly turn what took me a lifetime to get messed up. I can slowly start to round those corners. And I, I think reading books, I, show me a great leader that doesn't have a great library. It's, it's, it seems to be hand in hand. Yeah, there's a way in this day and age to be mentored by dead guys. I mean, yeah, there's a yeah. lot of guys that I've never met that I feel like have mentored me through their through their writings. But I love that you bring this up, Jim, because I think that part of leading in 2020 and beyond is going to be grace. How do you progress with grace? Yeah. You know, uh, even as we debated to mask or not to mask. Oh boy. You know, part of what we had to do is to say, how do we approach this topic with uh, grace and and wisdom? You know. Uh, we, we have campuses in different communities. And so part of what we try to do is to say, hey, figure out the data and the ethos for your community and do what is wise and best for you, as opposed to uh, feeling the need or the pressure to uh, be dictatorial or legalistic. And I think even in repentance, even in change, managing your mental health, learning to slow down and new habits, you got to give yourself grace because it's not going to be perfection every day. I think it's Proverbs 26. It has two verses that seem to contradict each other. One says, you know, answer a fool according to his yeah. folly. The very next verse is don't answer a fool according to his folly. That's right. I just kind of concluded, well, there's more than one kind of fool. That's what I thought. But I heard somebody found <laughs> out the other day and he said, sometimes you're, you're in the no-win scenario. Some, yes. Sometimes it doesn't matter what decision you make. There, there will be someone that, that detaches from your ministry, from your heart, from yes. your family. It doesn't matter what decision you make. And today, it's, it's kind of like the volume of music in the auditorium, isn't it? And, you know, some it's too high, some it's too low. And we, we actually did a survey years ago where 40% said, you know, are you happy or unhappy in which direction? I, mildly to, to, to moderately unhappy, whether it's being too loud, mildly to moderately unhappy, whether it being too soft. 20% yeah. said you're doing it just right. And so I had to come before the congregation and say, we're doing it just right, even though 80% of you to some degree, <laughs> so we're, we're not going to talk about it anymore. We found the sweet spot where most of you are upset. <laughs> that is just, that's just leadership. Depending on any issue, any controversy, take a stand, don't take a stand. There, there are those that will be upset at the stand you took or did not take, and it, it just is what it is. I'm just glad I'm not alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there should be a support group. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, John, any closing thoughts? Yeah, just one, uh, Chris, you, you, uh, in, in your last comments, you were talking about uh, ha uh, grace and its relationship to learning how to be healthy. Um, so I've been on that journey for uh, 28, over 28 years of uh, learning how to uh, care for my soul, care for my emotions. Um, and, and one thing I just would say is there's no finishing point to that. It's, it's not like I've achieved that. Um, I've written books on it, but it's still something I have to work on all the time. And yes. because, my, because under pressure, my natural default is workaholism. Yes. Uh, under pressure, 
I go, I, I can tend to go back to the bad habits that got me into emotional trouble in the first place. So uh, I, I want to encourage anybody listening today. Uh, first of all, this isn't a three-step process that you, you finish in two weeks and you're done. It's, it's just ongoing. It's part of, I feel like I'm on a, a maintenance plan, an emotional maintenance plan for the rest of my life. And so Jim, I, I just wanted to, uh, to, to just uh, add on to what Chris had said just a minute ago. And, and John, you know, we brought up books in this conversation. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that one of the essential books for me personally as a leader and uh, for our church has been your wonderful book on emotional health. As a matter of fact, I commend it to every leader I come across in this season. And uh, you, you know that I have a, uh, a radio program with Moody Radio Network. Right. And uh, every month we feature a particular book that we feel like will be helpful for our listeners. Uh, in the past year, that, that book was our, our top requested book and continues mm. to be, remain that. And, uh, and, and that's putting you up against guys like Max Lucado and Tony Evans and all of them. And it just, to me, is not so much about the name, Opelouski, as much as it is about the truth and the topic that all of us are dealing with, grappling with, how do we navigate emotional health? So thanks for your care and concern for leaders and for producing resources that are really helping us. Well, thank you, Chris, for your time, John. Um, I, I know when, as I'm hearing you guys speak, I'm being helped. And I know it's helping people that are listening. And just, just before we close, John, the name of that book and how would we get a hold of it that, that Chris has just recommended? Yeah, the name of the book is called Unshakable You, Five Choices of Emotionally Healthy People. And the best way to get it, you can get it on Amazon or you can go right to our website, convergecoach.com, and you can find it there. Well, please, please, please know that we are praying for you in this new year. We're going to do everything we can to, to bring the voices, the topics, the the moments that we need, the moments that are that are pivotal. 99.999% of life is utterly forgettable. And there's that 0.001% that makes all the difference in the world. And that's what we're striving for week after week is to bring you those, those moments that pivot your life towards the Lord. So anything we can do to help, let us know. We love you, God bless you. And we are praying for you as you continue to lead from the line.